Good morning. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Lovely to see the church so full. Right, okay, I'm going to be doing a reading from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 25. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. The Lord God had not sent rain on, on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, aromatic resin, and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east of Eshur, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all of the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So, shall be, so she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Amen. Fantastic. Thanks, Narai, birthday girl. We're not supposed to be wishing people, but sheesh. Happy birthday. Um, we are kicking off a new series, uh, which is all about relationships, and um, uh, it's called Relatable, because we are wanting to grow in our ability to relate to one another in the way God intended it to be. Um, anybody that needs to grow in your ability to relate to your romantic other. Yes, I heard that. Amen. I heard that. I heard that. I saw that one guy getting punched by the wife in the ribs. You should have put your hand up. <laughs> I certainly need to. Um, and, uh, and so that's what we're wanting to do in this series. We'll be talking about uh, romantic relationships, marriage, sex, singleness, and everything in between. 
And we hope that it's going to be helpful and help us to be able to grow in our ability to, re- to relate to one another in a godly way. And um, if you're here and perhaps you're not in a relationship, you may be thinking, oh man, what, what does this series have for me? Well, um, the, this series is going to equip all of us to relate to, 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 to people in a better way. But if you're thinking, I, I'm going to get married in a couple of years, and, and I'd like to get you're not in one now, but you'd like that to happen, uh, well, this series is going to help you to prepare for that. There isn't a switch that we can just switch on and then we're suddenly ready for marriage, and uh, it's not like a, a tablet that you can swallow and then you're, you're, you're mature and all of your issues are sorted out. No, no. It takes, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes vision. Um, it's, it's like uh, preparing yourself for that dream job. If you're in your dream job right now, you know the effort that it took, the work that it took to get ready for that position. And so times that by 100 because character takes longer to develop than skill. And, uh, and that's why a course, a series like this is helpful, even if you're not in a romantic relationship. So um, today I want to kick us off by looking at some myths about marriage. We're going to bust some myths, four myths about marriage from this passage of Scripture. And uh, we're going to kick off with marriage is overrated. Marriage is overrated. Now, this is a growing trend in our culture. There are more and more people that feel that marriage is too hard, that marriage is impossible, that marriage doesn't work. 50% of marriages end up in divorce. Uh, marriage is boring. Marriage is even oppressive to some. And, um, and so on, this is on the one extreme. On the other extreme of the, of the spectrum, you have people that think that marriage is amazing. It's like heaven, and it's just going to make you happy, and we'll deal with that at the end. But, but there are loads of people that feel like marriage is overrated. And so as a result, this attitude has affected how people approach marriage. More and more people today in South Africa are actually not getting married for various reasons, but, but the stats show us that more and more people are not getting married. This is from Stats SA, and it was taken in 2018. They did a report on marriages in South Africa, and the orange trend over there it looks brown, but the, but the orange trend shows that peop, less and less people are getting married every year. And the great trend shows that there are more and more single-headed households in South Africa. In 1997, there were 187,000 registered civil unions. Ten years later, in 2017, that number dropped by 52,000 people to 135,000. And this is not only a cultural thing, this is across the board. Even traditional marriages, cultural marriages have dropped in number. In 2009, uh, there were 13,500 traditional marriages. In 2018, there were only 3,100 traditional marriages in South Africa. So across the board, South Africans are not getting married. They're taking longer to get married. They're getting married much later in life, uh, and there's much less marriages happening. And this is not only a South African phenomenon. This is a global phenomenon. The same is true in the UK. The same is true in America. And, And part of the reason for why this is is because there are loads of people who think that marriage is overrated. Um, I, I remember speaking to a master's student at UCT a couple of years ago, and she said to me, she said this, with these words to me, that's where I got this title from, marriage is overrated. It's actually boring. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean it's boring? She said, well, to be with one person for your whole life, come on, it's, that's, that's boring. We were, not, we were not made to do that. And she had this whole argument worked out that, that 
said, we're not made to stick with one, but we're made to experiment, we're made to explore, we're made to have lots of different uh, relationships. Uh, Chris Rock, the comedian, he put it this way. He said, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? And uh, it really captures that idea that marriage is boring. It's boring. It's, it's, it's a little bit overrated. Others say that marriage is oppressive. It's like being owned. That's the kind of language that people use. It's restrictive. I heard this new Miley Cyrus song the other day called uh, Midnight Sky. And she says, she has this line. She says, I was born to run. I don't belong to anyone. You should know right now that I never stay put in one place. And, uh, and so staying put in one place is almost considered to be against what we were born for. Staying put in one place is almost considered to be against human nature. We were born to explore. We were born to run. We were born to experiment. And so this is the myth about marriage, which we don't find in the Bible. It's not actually present in the Bible. The Bible has actually got a surprisingly positive view of marriage. Um, when, we, when we read that story, we saw Adam um, seeing Eve for the first time. And when he sees Eve for the first time, he breaks into poetry. It's in the Hebrew, it's actually poetic. It's a song that he's breaking into. And he says in verse 23, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Hallelujah. I found what I've been looking for. Uh, I found what was missing. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called, whoa, man. Because... <laughs> She, she reveals something of the glorious. I mean, she, she, she's freshly made over there, and she just wakes up. You can just imagine it. And he just breaks into this, into this poetry, bone of my bone. At last, I found what I've been looking for. At last, my lonely days are over. Right? That's what's happening. He's, he's singing. He's seeing the, this image bearer of the glorious God in Eve, and he realizes this is what, what, I, what I've been longing for. This is what I'm made for. And, and, so, and so marriage is glorious because you're with an image bearer a, a, who is made in the glorious image of God. There's something about humanity that reflects who God is, and that's glorious, which is why we, when we come together in marriage, experience some of that glory. And so at, at the very beginning of a year, we see that Eve becomes Adam's standard of beauty. He's completely taken by her, right? And so what that means is that if, if you're in a, in, a, in a marriage covenant, your wife or your husband becomes your standard of beauty. If, if your wife is skinny, you're into skinny. If, if, she's, uh, if she's tall, you're into tall. If she is not skinny anymore, you're into previously not skinny anymore people. Okay, that's, that's what's happening over here. This person becomes your standard of beauty. The, the, this, this person reflects the glory of God, and it's, it, it is completely possible that that person, for your whole life, can captivate you. Because there's something complex and beautiful about glorious image bearers. There really is. It's possible to maintain that over your whole life. It's not true that you will 
not born to stay in one place and that you need to experiment. God said about everything that he had made, it is good. He made the planets. He said it's good. He made, um, the, he, you know, he made the earth. He said it's good. He made, he made the vegetation and the creepy crawly things. He said it's good. He said it's good. He said it's good. And then he looked at Adam and he said, it's not good that you're alone. He knows something about our DNA about what we were made for. It's not good for us to be alone. He has given marriage as an institution to remedy our loneliness. And he gives us um, this covenant relationship between man and wife to help us. And, and what this also means is that, is that this myth that marriage is this horrible thing um, is actually not true. It's not found. There are many people who have been married for many years. You're in, the, in this room and, and it's amazing to you. And you mourn when you're not with your, with your spouse because, because marriage is glorious. Marriage is glorious, point number one. Myth number two, marriage is a contract. Marriage is a contract. But listen to verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. When you get married, you become one flesh. And, 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 and that covenant language, that, that, that means that from God's perspective, on your wedding day, He anoints you so that you now, in His eyes, are like one. You're like one. That's, that's, that means that you're, there's a relationship, there's a commitment between the two of you. That, that From His perspective, see, it's almost like you're, you're one. I've got a contract relationship with, with, with Netflix Right when Netflix doesn't do good movies, I move over to Showmax. Showmax, I know, I do. Don't judge me. I mean, the 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 thing the thing that makes contract relationships a contract relationship is that the need outweighs the relationship. So I need good movies, and if you stop producing good movies, then I move on to somebody that does give me good movies. Okay, so the need outweighs the superficial relationship that I have with Netflix. It's not like that in a covenant relationship. With your kids, parents, you will know that that is a covenant relationship. The need does not outweigh the relationship. Kids will poop on your needs, right? They'll poop everywhere. And when they, that's, you just, that's, your, that's your introduction to kids. Poop, 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 poop. On your clothing, everywhere. They fight with each other. They argue. They're noisy. They don't say thank you. Naturally, they uh, sometimes are lazy. They are hard work. And so, and so your needs don't get met in that relationship, but parents, you love them anyway. Why? Because the relationship, the commitment that you have to them outweighs the, the, their ability to meet your needs. Okay, that becomes more important. That's, that's covenant. That's covenant. And so when we come to a marriage relationship, we don't approach it as a, as a contract where if, if you stop providing for my needs. If you fail to provide for my needs, I'm going to move on. No, no, no. It's a covenant relationship. When people say, why, why do we need a piece of paper to, to prove that we love each other? Man, we, you know, it's just a piece of paper and it doesn't really carry any weight. I love you and I love you and I know I love you. But the piece of paper, the, the, the marriage certificate that you get is an expression of a legal covenant that says, 
I will, I will love you for better, for worse, in rich and in poorer, for sickness and in health, till death us do part. And that does create a different operating system in that relationship. You don't have to put your best foot forward all the time because you're afraid, you're not so sure. If I don't put my best foot forward, if, if, if he starts to see things that are wrong with me, if she starts to see, see the real me, she might leave. No, no, no. It's a, it's a covenant. It's, a con- it's, it's not a contract. And, and, and that creates security and commitment that produces true love. True love gets produced in that environment. It's, 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 as, if, it's as if when you've got, when you've got that commitment and you, and, you, and you are able to show your whole self to that person and you work through the difficulties, you start to experience the deep love that is produced by covenant. So many relationships in South Africa, in fact, most of the relationships in South Africa end before the 10-year marker. Divorce happens in South Africa before 10 years. That's, that's generally... Most times when people stay longer, stay married for longer than 10 years, their, their chances of separating after the 10-year marker become far less. What does that mean? What is that expressing? That's expressing that when you push through and when you commit, it's as if covenant commitment is the soil in which the flower of true love blossoms over time. The covenant relation, the commitment that, you, that if you just stuck through it and you work through things over time, you will experience this deep and meaningful love where two people who really know each other, who see the good, the bad, and everything in between, who see that and still love each other, that gets produced over time. So, secondly, marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. And then thirdly, myth number three, marriage is an open contract. It's an open contract. But God gave Adam to Eve and Eve to Adam. And so it was, it, there were no entanglements, right? There were no, uh, there were no shenanigans. There were no, uh, it wasn't an open relationship. It was just Adam and Eve and Eve and Adam. There's one man and one woman in this marriage covenant. Verse 4 says, I mean, sorry, Hebrews 4, uh, Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, marriage should be honored by all. It should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, hollow, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. What that means is that sex outside of the marriage covenant, outside of the, the covenant between these two people, it is not God's idea. There's, there's the, the do not. The do not is no sex before you enter into that covenant. The sexually immoral, no sex during that covenant with anyone else. The adulterer. You can't have any of those things while you are. The, 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 the context for sexual fulfillment becomes the marriage covenant. Now, when we look at the Bible, there's sometimes two ways to preach it, two ways to read it. Sometimes the word is saying to us that this is prescriptive. This is what God wants for us. And it's sometimes it's speaking to people who haven't yet done certain things and gone certain places and saying, don't go there. You know, stay, stay over here. Sometimes the word is speaking to people like me who have gone certain places and done certain things. And it's speaking redemptively. And, and it's bringing healing, and it's bringing restoration, and it's bringing course correction, and it's bringing forgiveness, and it's bringing grace. Because God is a wise Father, and, it, and we do well to obey for our good and for His glory. We do well to obey His prescriptions. 
but He's also a gracious Savior who has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place for our sins so that we would be washed clean, so that we would have second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth chances. And so, and so, so we need to discern that even in the context of, of looking at passages like this, there, there is a prescriptive sense over here, but, but He's a Redeemer. He is a healer. Hallelujah. He is a grace giver. He's able to bind up the brokenhearted. He's able to liberate the captives. He's able to put you on a new trajectory. He's able to put your feet on solid ground. You might have been sinking. You might feel like, man, I am sinking right now. Hey, listen, he's for you, not against you. And so even as we read verses like this and as we go through the series, know that there are times when it's speaking to people who have not yet done certain things, saying, don't do that. Stay away from that. And then, and then at the same time, it's speaking graciously to, to us who, are, who have done certain things and, and perhaps who need, who need his help, who need his redemption. Both are happening at the same time. So honoring the marriage bread, bed means it's, it's prescriptive. Do not. Do not. Okay. But it, there's also an implicit do in there. Um, the, the implicit do in there is do have a lot of sex if you are married. Right, that's, that's the implicit do. That's how you honor the marriage bed if you are married. Um, and I love how Paul puts it elsewhere. He says, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? I heard that. I got you, brother. Amen. That, so, I mean, what, what this means is that, that in the context of marriage, uh, sex should be frequent and it should be regular. It should be part of the, the, the expression of our love for one another. It's, it's covenant glue. That's a terrible word for it, I know. But it's just the, it's the best I can do. It's the thing that keeps reminding you that you are in this, this, this covenant, that you are one. There's nothing between us. And so, and, so, and so sex in the context of marriage is the thing that keeps reminding the heart, hey, we love each other. We are for each other. We, we're, we're one. God has made us one. And so and if you're not praying as a married couple, you are busy. You're doing stuff. Okay. So myth number three, marriage is not an open contract. And then myth number four, the last one for today is probably, I think, been the hardest one for me personally to come to terms with in my own journey as a Christian. Myth number four is that marriage will complete me. Marriage will complete me. It's, it's as if um, many of us, Grow up watching rom-coms thinking my knight in shining armor is going to come and rescue me and uh, he's going to be so perfect and amazing. He's going to love Jesus and have a six-pack and, you know, life is going to change forever. I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be completed. I'm going to be happy. Marriage should be easy. It should just be this walk in the park and that expectation is devastating to real relationships, isn't it? married people. We know that while marriage is glorious, we are made in the wonderful image of God. We are fallen image bearers. We are fallen image bearers. We know what happened in the rest of the story in Genesis chapter 3. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, 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 they then started to to blame each other. They, they, we then see all sorts of um, havoc happening in the Genesis account. Why? Because sin had entered into the human story. 
Paul puts it that way. Paul gives us his interpretation of Genesis chapter 3. And Paul says, this is his commentary on Genesis 3. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. He's saying that what happened in that garden, if you don't understand what happened in that garden on that day, you won't understand why your life is sometimes difficult today. If you don't understand that, that sin entered into the story, you, you, it will change your whole worldview of, of, how, of how your expectation of marriage, your expectation of, of yourself even, will, will, will be different. And, 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 so, and so you're saying that sin entered, and, and, and sin was massive. There are kind of three aspects that I just want to highlight over here. The first aspect of how sin impacts relationships is that it separated God from people. It separ- sin separates me from God. It, it causes me to not be conscious of His presence. And sometimes I need the help of, of church and of worship music and of teaching to encounter God and to, to become conscious of His presence again. What happens in the story is that uh, they eat from the street that they're not supposed to be eating from. And, um, and immediately they start to become conscious that they're naked. They, 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 were, they, were, they were naked. They felt no shame. But all of a sudden, they start to hide from each other and they start to hide from God. Verse 9 says, The Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God says to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And so sin right there enters into humanity. And that's the reason why sometimes when you pray, it feels like, man, I don't know even if there is a God over here. It feels like there's a chasm between me and God. Well, the reason for that is that sin has caused us to be separated like a, like a light switch. We've been unplugged from the source of power and there's darkness in our world because of sin. Sin impacts the relationship between people also. It impacts our relationship with each other. Adam and Eve no longer felt comfortable to be naked in, in front of each other. And, um, and they had good reason for it because that relational harmony had been ruined. We start to see in verse um, 12 that they start blaming each other. So, you know, the, uh, uh, Adam says, Eve made me do it. She, she's, she's the problem. She's the real reason that this is happening. Like, blame her, God. And Eve is like, it's not me. It's, it's, it's the serpent. The serpent made me do it, right? It's his fault. And so sin starts to affect not only our, our, our relationships, it starts to affect our own reasoning, our own ability to, to understand right from wrong. This starts, this starts to, blame shifting starts to happen right here. And this is exacerbated by, we can see how sin impacts ourselves. Death enters into the story. Sickness enters into the story. We were not designed to die. We were not designed to, 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 to lose loved ones. That, that wasn't part of the original plan. And yet that happens. And, 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 and that's, 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 that's not only that, that sin is affecting us because of sickness. That's because Sin is far deeper than stuff that we do. It's like a poison that's in my very bloodstream. There's something drawing me away from God, constantly making me a little bit more self-centered, a little bit more self-indulgent, a little bit more self-focused. That's the impact of sin on me. Now, how is this helpful for married people or for people who want to get married one day? This is helpful because, number one, 
it explains that marriage is going to be both glorious and perhaps one of the most painful things that you experience in your life. Because when sinners say, I do, to each other, they inevitably are going to hurt each other. Inevitably, that's going to happen. That's the reality of what happens when two people who... Get, who it's, it's not about their upbringing primarily. So many times I read stuff, it's about, it's about your upbringing, it's about what happened to you. Yeah, what happens to you can impact and can exacerbate the sin that is there in our hearts, the self-centeredness that is there, that is resident within us. But that's not the primary thing. The primary thing is that all of us have got this bearing and this bent towards self-centeredness, towards, towards, um, towards doing things that are wrong, that are against God. So that's the first thing, that it's helpful to let go of the expectation that your spouse is going to fulfill you and make you happy. Your marriage is going to be not about God, about people making you happy, but someone else making you happy. It's going to be about you growing in holiness. It's about, it's about you getting a sense of, man, there's stuff in me that's wrong, and, and, I, need to, and I need to work on those things. Secondly, why is this helpful? It's helpful because it shows us how sin can blind us. Sin blinds us. We see Adam and Eve blaming each other in the garden. That's like 90% of all the arguments that I have. It looks like this. Like, you might recognize this, right? How can you, like, you're not saying sorry for something, right? You're not taking responsibility for something. But you're not taking responsibility. But I do see what I've done. I do see what I've done. But you're more wrong. You've done something bigger. No, no, no. You don't really see what you've done. You don't really understand. I know I've hurt you. But you've really, really hurt me, right? That's like 90% of, of, of everything that we deal with in marriage sounds like that. That is different versions of that, but but sin blinds us, and so it and so we underplay. I underplay my own issues, my own sinfulness, and I overplay my spouse's issues. This is going to help you. This is this is helping me, but this is this is what happens in marriages. And then what you're going to do is you're going to go. I know that if you slightly mature, you're going to. I know that I've got issues, but your, your issues are bigger, right? And and. If you're not mature at all, you're just going to go, I don't have any issues and you're the problem. Okay? But, but for, most, for most people who have been walking with Jesus for a while, you, you, you'll acknowledge it. But this is not about what you score on a theology test when you say, I believe in sinfulness of humanity. This thing is in us. It's, it's, it's there. And, and, and if, you, if you at least know that it's there, you stand a better chance of dealing with the things. Your marriage needs one hero. Most marriages need one hero, one person to say, I see my stuff, and I'm going to deal with it. If you are single, what that means is that you need to get into the habit of seeing your stuff and dealing with it, of saying sorry. If you're not in the habit of saying sorry, if, if the word, I am sorry, I did this wrong, if that kind of causes you to have a panic attack, then you're not ready to get married. You're not, because you, you're walking. You say you believe in human sinfulness. You say this, nobody really believes the myth that marriage is going to complete. But in, you functionally do believe that. You functionally think that that person is going to be this amazing person, not a sinner, that's going to fulfill all your deepest needs. And when you get there, they are not going to do that. And then you're going to argue, like the argument I just showed you. And then... You're not going to take responsibility. Then you're going to spend your money on a counselor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist if you have a lot of money. 
Uh, it's very expensive, by the way. And then if you don't listen to them, because all they're going to do is they're going to say to you, uh, do you hear what she's saying? You, you know, they, that's all they're going to do. Do you know that she's saying this? They're going to rephrase it in their clever ways. And then you're going to either go, yeah, I, I do. I, I see it now. I have got issues. I am contributing. Or you're not going to listen to that person. And then you're going to lose half of your money and spend money on lawyers. And, uh, and it's going to be very expensive and very hurtful for you. Or, or you can start to create a habit where you say, I have got issues. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner made in the image of God. Hallelujah. There's so much, there's so much that's good about you and about me. But deep within me, there is a self-centeredness. There is a self-centeredness. I'm not preaching. Don't, don't say, yeah, tell him. Tell him right now about that self I'm glad he's hearing this. Or I'm glad she's here. <laughs> Listen. Sin will work even in this moment. It's for you. It's for me. If you're going to save your marriage, if you're going to work on your marriage, you have to have this commitment to saying, I am self-centered. I, 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 this, I'm going to make it about me. I'm going to play down their stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to play down my stuff. I'm going to play up their stuff. I, I am blind to my own stuff. At some point, you're going to have to say, I, I believe this. I believe this. I, I'm, I'm opening myself to being wrong. I'm opening myself to growing. And this is going to help you to have an amazing marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It, it, it does work. You keep, if you just stick at it, it works. It's, it's a covenant between two people, and, and it's difficult. Um, but, but it works. It is glorious because people are made in the image of God. And one of the primary ways to deal with sin in marriage is to start with me, to start with myself. Now, I just want to add one last proviso at the end. They're, they're, what's interesting about Genesis 3 is that people, are at dif- people sin in different ways, and, and people actually become more sinful. We start to see murder into the story, Cain and Abel. We start to see all sorts of bad things, and we start to see people resisting sin. And so, and so sin can, can grow. We're not, you and I are not as bad as we could be. And what that means, the implication for marriage is that Things can get to a point where you do need to leave. If you've done everything in your, in your ability to stay, or if you've been through this, don't, don't feel condemned. There, there are situations, and, and Jesus speaks about unfaithfulness. Uh, there's conditions around abuse, and there's conditions around desertion where there are grounds to step away from the relationship. And so, and so if that's your situation, that's been your experience, that, 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 that is in the Bible, there is a broader picture. For most of us, for most of us, we are going to have to start with our own sin in our own lives and fight it and see it and acknowledge it and say, even if the other person doesn't see their stuff, I'm going to work on my stuff. Hallelujah. Come on up, band. Let me just say a quick prayer. And then... Um, we are, we are done. I just thought um, as I was preparing about this that for, for many of us who have been married for, you know, uh, a bit longer, um, there comes a point where it's, it's hard to acknowledge your stuff because of all the hurt sometimes. Sometimes it's, yeah, I, I went for um, physio for my back. I had like a slip disc because of a, an injury. And, uh, and they would just, I don't know what this evil physio was doing, but it was just painful. And so I started clenching up every time. And, and then, you know, 
like rearranging my spine. And, and then the physio says, you just need to relax. And I'm like, you're going to, you know, before they even did something, I was like clenching and they you need to relax. But I'm like, you're rearranging my spine every time. But like in marriage, sometimes it can be like that. You can get hurt and then you're closed. And it's, it's hard to look inwardly. It's hard to try again. It's hard to be open because you've been hurt in the past. But, but today, what this, what this passage of Scripture is calling us to is to long suffering, long patience in the same direction with, with your spouse. I just want to encourage you where you are. God is able to, to redeem any situation. He's able to bring new life in any situation. He's the grace giver. He's the healer. He's the restorer. And so wherever you are today, perhaps you're clenched up. Perhaps you're excited about the future and, and you're going to get married. and You're enjoying the bliss of, uh, of, of courtship and dating. Um, work on these things. There is hope in any situation. Let's stand together and pray.